welcome to Doctors at Work. My name is Matt Daniel and this podcast is about doctors' careers. Today we're talking about public health. In this episode, Joe Holm tells me what a career in public health is like. Public health is about working at global and population level and with much more long-term outcomes than many doctors may be used to. It's also about dealing with the root causes of disease rather than the end symptoms. And training is very varied. You get to mix with lots of different people and in many different contexts. I hope the podcast is useful. Welcome, Joe. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, Matt. So thank you for having me. I am. Uh, so my name is Joe. I'm a medical doctor by training. Um, I'm currently a public health registrar on the UK Public Health Training Scheme. Um, in terms of the training scheme itself, I'm based in London, started off in East London, working in local authorities there, and then have, have moved into the London School of Tropical Medicine, which is um, where I'm based now. What attracted you to public health? Um, I think public health is an interesting specialty um, for a myriad of reasons, really. And I guess in some ways, it, there's probably a truth that actually medics don't necessarily know what they're get themselves into a lot of the time of public health. Um, certainly at my medical school, it wasn't something I was exposed to particularly. Um, and But one thing that I did find um, in my journey into public health was I was, you know, I was working in A&E, I was seeing patients and certainly I was seeing the same patients come in every day. And I think that that was really challenging because they would come in and they would come in because they were perhaps experiencing homelessness or victims of um, sexual violence and I could patch them up I could give them antibiotics but certainly I wasn't really doing anything to change the circumstances that drove me into the A&E and then subsequently they'd come in the next week with with a similar problem and I think that really led me to rethink what I what health meant to me and what healthcare meant to me and how you know how best to serve the population and through a few of us sort of different experiences what I found was I there's a certain elements to clinical work that I loved, definitely, but there was also elements to non-kind of clinical working, longitudinal kind of working, and project-based working, and taking more of a bird's eye view, and you know, speaking to colleagues and speaking to some of my mentors. It seemed that public health perhaps could offer that. And certainly, you know, I did want to stay in medical training and uh, I think there's probably, you know, we could talk about that all day about professional identity and, you know, do I, how to see yourself as a, as a medical professional, but certainly I was really keen to, to stay in the public sector and stay in, um, in some way in serving the population. And it seemed like the balance of all of those things, public health seemed like quite good, quite a good fit. Um I was also very fortunate, I think, to have some really good mentors in this space. So one of my mentors um, in one of my other jobs, Dom Allwoods, is public health consultant. And, you know, she has um, done amazing things with her career. She certainly has crafted her career in a way that I think other medical specialties are only just starting to do in terms of building that portfolio and broad skills and really being self-directed. And I think inspiring people like that along the way you know, really cemented the idea that public health was a great place to be. And is that a fairly typical route into public health, do you think, or do, do other people do it for different reasons? Um, it's a really good question. I, in terms of, 
I guess there's also a question of, of who does public health and who, what kind of people are in public health. Public health is, as far as I know, the only training specialty where non-doctors uh, can apply. And certainly we really benefit from the diversity in the cohort. So I've got lots of people in my cohort who are not from medical backgrounds. They haven't practiced clinically. They perhaps have worked in government or research or NGOs um, or humanitarian aid. And this brings a real wealth of experience to the cohort of public health trainees and then later consultants. But I think people's reasons for doing public health as well are, are, are really varied in that public health isn't a homogenous kind of job. Within public health itself, um, there is sub several subspecialties and the different jobs are very, very different to one another. They're all non-clinical. So unless I were to do work outside of my training role, so like locum work or something, then certainly I wouldn't be seeing patients. Um, and I, I haven't seen patients for quite a long time. Um, again, there's a question around professional identity there and, and I could talk about that a bit more, but um, public health does bring people who want to be change makers, I think. It brings people who want to take that broader view of health and healthcare. Um, but it also offers lots of different things. So some public health consultants will end up being very, very good at data analytics and people who really love academia and research really you know public health is an amazing specialty to build that kind of career equally if you're really interested in policy levers working at the center of power working in a, in a way that small changes could influence or incrementally improve the life of you know whole populations public health is also a great place a great place to find that kind of work there's quite a few public health trainees i know who were really taken by global health and people who come in from perhaps um, an infectious diseases perspective, you know, they've wanted to, um, or some people have trained infectious diseases and they really want to build on that. And uh, similar to what I described, they found that, you know, working in some environments, they could treat the diseases, but they weren't treating the cause of disease, which was often social deprivation. It was often macroeconomic factors. And public health allows you to build that global career. There's, we're really fortunate in that, Lots of the big global health organizations, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, uh, Medicine Sans Frontier, all of these places are quite a natural fit for public health registrars and consultants to really deliver value to, to whole populations. Um, I think there, there is also something to be said about public health in that it's it's a very different way of working to a clinical specialty. We do have on calls and um, those on calls are typically non-resident taken from home in terms of outbreak control um, and really trying to protect the health of the population that you're serving. But largely, there's lots of re remote working in public health. Um, it's somewhat of a flexible specialty um, in lots of the rotations you do. Um, you're outside of the hospital environment, which for some people is a positive, some people is a negative. Um, and, you know, I think that all of those things build into quite a unique proposition as compared to almost any other specialty. Um, there's also, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken about it very well there, but there is some negatives to that as well, of course. And, you know, going from a very thriving, very vibrant hospital environment where, you know, you're constantly interacting with patients, you're constantly interacting with colleagues, and it's very, very social in that regard, um, public health is quite different to that a lot of the time. There's a lot of asynchronous working. There's lots of working independently. 
Um, it's it lots of desk based working. I would say probably the majority of the work is is desk or computer based. Um, and you know that suits some people; it doesn't suit others. But fortunately, because of the the breadth of public health as a specialty, I think that you can sort of find find your value in what you know. F- find a role that that gives you the value that you need. And sorry, that was a desperately long winded answers to the question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And I'm, I'm interested in you mentioned identity and as doctors. Okay, so you train and you do your hospital medicine, your general practice, maybe some laboratory related stuff. And then in public health, you leave all of that behind um, and you go and work in an office and you're training alongside people that are not medically qualified. How, how do you navigate that? It's a really good question. And I think it's a question that um, public health as a specialty sometimes has grappled with and certainly as an individual that moving away from that traditional perspective and image of a doctor wearing a stethoscope and scrubs has been an, an interesting sort of journey, I suppose. You know, and there's certain moments that that make you reflect. Uh, I'm sure lots of public medically uh, trained public health uh, doctors or public health registrars have had similar conversations to the ones I've had from grandparents or family members, and they say, "But are you, are you still a doctor? Do you do you still count as a doctor?" But you don't see patients, and I think that isn't it. It's a very interesting personal identity and professional identity thing to come to terms with, because for you know contractually, I'm a doctor. I'm registered to the GMC. I'm on a health education England training program, training to be on the specialist register in the same way that a general practitioner is or a general surgeon is. Um, but it it really is very, very different in that I, I don't provide clinical care. Um, and, you know, to, to a degree, it's been so long now since I've, I've seen patients face-to-face and I've provided that, you know, clinical assessment, clinical plan and clinical decision-making that I, I, I almost don't really feel like a doctor anymore. And I, I think that that is quite... A, a common thing and sometimes medical doctors who do it find themselves in um somewhat of a, di- a dilemma and people approach that in very different ways i've got colleagues who still work part-time uh, clinically i've got colleagues who do lots of locum uh, work uh, to keep up their clinical skills um i certainly think there's a value there but i i think having worked in a few different policy roles um at local and national levels there, I've seen in myself a risk that policy can be quite far from the population and one can start to almost lose touch with the population that we're, that we're trying to serve. And I think clinical practice is very, very important in that because it gives you it gives you that finger on the pulse of, you know, what do the real people in this in this country, how how do they how do they live their lives? And how how can we then, you know, bring that lived experience i mean lived experience by proctor i suppose to policy and decision making um but certainly it's something you know that idea of me wearing scrubs and a stethoscope and the all the different elements of that in terms of personal professional identity is certainly something i've not bottomed out myself um and it's something that i still think about quite often um but equally you know i have colleagues who don't think about that at all 
in terms of the, the second part of the question around how do we navigate people or how do we work with people who have not um, had a clinical background? So in public health, we're, we're very fortunate that we have people from allied health professions who are public health registrars. So physiotherapists, speech and language therapists, um, nursing colleagues. Um, and we've also got people who haven't ever worked clinically. Um, and I think that says a lot about the specialty in terms of the diversity, in terms of the our ability to approach solutions um, and problems or approach problems and develop solutions, I should say. Because medicine is an interesting world. It's, we're, we're taught in um, a relatively linear way, I would say. We approach problems from a patient in front of us perspective, which is really useful um, as a doctor. Um, but actually having that challenge by people who've come from very different backgrounds and very different experiences is absolutely crucial to developing good policy, to developing good health systems and develop and improving health for the population. Um, I think that, you know, in public health, we do have um, some great, great people on our programme who who wouldn't be there if it was medic, medics only. Um, and people from really diverse experiences. I've got I've got colleagues who've worked in, you know, worked in the World Bank or they've worked in global NGOs and they bring a perspective and experience that would be hard for, I think, a medic to bring. And, you know, as a result, I learned so, so much from those, those individuals. And, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, they learn something from us as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I, it, it, but it is a different dynamic, I think, because certainly a lot of those people haven't really engaged and never had to engage with um, training programs in the same way that, you know, medics do um, throughout their careers. Uh, and I think non-medical careers can be somewhat less structured um, and more flexible, which has pros and cons. And then, you know, in the same way that I say that some of the doctors grapple with not seeing patients anymore when they're in the training program, I think some people who've worked in really interesting positions and in really interesting organisations doing great work also have to grapple with, oh, what is this medical training program? What's a TPD? How what's this portfolio all about? And um so I think we, we all have our, our own challenges, but certainly a lot of the value in the registrar training program and then the consultant body comes from this diversity of experience. It, it's interesting because if I think of my clinical roles, my clinical roles, there's a very, very insular world where it's full of people that are just like me. Mm. And some of my non-clinical roles, it's the life's actually much more interesting because it's full of people that are nothing like me. <laughs> so, and, so, and that's good. Um, and um, I think that, that there's, there's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? That, that, you know, okay, you want to change the world and we all want to change the world. And the reality is that, that if you're focused on treating the one patient in front of you, you're not changing the world. You know, you're changing that one person in front of you, but you're probably not making a difference. And if you are one, if you are, as you've outlined, you know, it sounds to me like public health, it's very much about values. And, you know, what 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 do you value in the world? And if, if changing the global healthscape, you know, the, if that's if that's a strong value, then the reality is you're not going to achieve that by treating one patient at a time. Yeah. So you've got the only way you're going to achieve that is by saying, OK, if I'm going to change global healthscape, 
I need to change that on a population level, not on an individual level. I think I think it's a really good point. Um, I suppose I I would agree and disagree huh? because I think you know each person that you're treating and each person who you see as a clinician is you know that that interaction and that treatment of whatever whatever sort of specialty or method that is is incredibly valuable and certainly a healthcare system cannot work um if you don't have clinicians providing healthcare um and i think it it the difference perhaps is that it depends what you find particularly fulfilling and valuable in a role um i've got lots of friends and colleagues one of my very good friends is a um pediatric registrar and you know the the joy he gets from providing critical care to very unwell neonates is is incredible and you know there is multiple neonates that if people like him didn't work then they they wouldn't be here and i think that the that is just an amazing thing to be able to do and say um and some of the challenge of public health is that i will probably never be in a position where i will be able to hand on heart say there was a critically unwell child there was a critically unwell elderly person i really helped um that person have a good death i really really supported that family through a grieving process or i had a had a really satisfying interaction with someone at a very vulnerable part of their life and those i guess very tangible and very i guess very real emo- emotional interactions you have with people are what makes medicine and healthcare so amazing um and there is a trade off there because in public health it's you may you may be in situations where you do get those interactions but i would say it's infinitely rare most of the time we will design a piece of work or you know a health program or a health system or health promotion that in reality is going to benefit a population hopefully in you know the perfect prevention mechanism might benefit a population in 20 years time in which case you might have done what what could be seen as a lot of good but you're not as close to seeing that and you don't feel it as strongly and i think you know again it's that sort of doctor non-doctor relationship or not clinic clinical doctor to non-clinical relationship where you know as a clinician there's a very rapid feedback of what you do you know i was b in a and e assessing a patient and i'd know very quickly whether what i was doing was working or not working um whereas in public health we could design and implement a program which we might never be able to measure whether it worked or not we kind of just have to hope because some of those health outcomes are very difficult to measure and they're in a very long time and you know as a if you're in a very senior public health position um in a national position for example it may be that you have you develop a new program of work so one that comes to mind is the the discussion around smoking and the uh cigarette ban which which i think is currently um was proposed by Rishi Sunak and actually that was heavily influenced by public health professionals and the evidence was built by public health professionals and academics and those individuals will probably 
you know, the benefits from those interventions won't be apparent for a long time, um, which is so different from doing, I don't know, a craniotomy and all of a sudden you see whether it worked or not. And I think it, it's almost difficult to compare because they offer such different value in terms of the value you offer to the citizen, or but then the value that you derive from it yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So what motivates you to do that? So you, you're giving up this, this instant feedback, you know, this instant high that you get from making a difference. You're giving all of that up. Um, and instead you're trading it for something where the incomes are, the, the outcomes are much more long-term and perhaps less tangible. So what, what motivates you? That's a really good question. I guess there's probably a there's probably a, an answer I'd like to give then maybe a more honest answer, who knows? So the answer I'd like to say is that actually I, you know, I want to have an impact on a a broader population. I want to be able to improve the lives of people where I can um, in a proactive rather than reactive way. And I think certainly that's the nature of public health, trying to be proactive, preventative, rather than the the kind of current model of healthcare, which is very reactive, um, which a a lot of clinicians work within or or medics work within, certainly. Um, I think the slightly, um, perhaps another more honest answer is that actually I net. I was probably quite an average doctor, I think, and um, and having worked in system improvement and sort of leadership positions, um, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the longitudinal nature of working. I really enjoy, enjoyed, you know, building relationships and collaborating with people across different sectors, different backgrounds, and really trying to build networks to then allow other people to work at the top of their license to improve clinical care and i think probably what i saw throughout my career um even before starting public health was i think that's probably where i could add most value to the population and to the system rather than being maybe an average maybe a sub-average depends who you ask sho um i could i could deliver quite good value to an organization or a system or a government department by working in that way rather than um, working on the shop floor, I think. So what kind of skills do you need? Um, so I guess in terms of skills, I would say that if if this was a question from prospective applicants to public health, I would say going in with an open mind, I don't think you need to have any particular skills before starting the programme. I think the programme is very good at building skills um and just for some background sorry the, the registrar training program is a five-year program you apply through oriel um the applications open at the same time as other programs every year um, other specialty training programs um sd1 to five if you've already got a master's in public health it's four years if you don't have a master's in public health one of your years will be doing a master's in public health full-time um and it depends the nature of that town depends on which deanery you go to um, and public health is very, very um, privileged in that way, actually, as a specialty, in that you get a full master's paid for, you get your salary paid whilst you're studying a master's. Um, and 
to some degree, you are supernumerary for the whole of training. Now, that, that there's some, I guess, some people might slightly disagree with that, but actually compared to medical specialties or clinical specialties, we really get to design our own programs, which means that actually, do you need any specific skills in order to get onto the program? I wouldn't say so. I think if if, if there's any medical doctors listening to this, I think that actually the skills you have already, the skills of communication, the skills of working under pressure and the skills of making decisions in sometimes um, tense situations are absolutely all you need to get to be able to get into the program. And then throughout the program, you'll have opportunity to build all the skills you want to. In terms of the skills on the program, there's, um, I guess, it's useful to talk about what where public health is in the UK at the moment. There's a huge um, focus on uh, planetary health. So that's how does environmental health, how does that affect the population? How does rising uh, global temperatures affect the population? How will it affect the population in the future? There's a big, big emphasis on health inequity, um, of which, you know, looking at figures, the inequity in the UK is, is huge, which doesn't really make sense when we have free at points of access healthcare. You know, everyone in theory has access to the exact same level of healthcare and health information. So why do we have such health inequity? So that's one of the things that I think is, you know, we we do a lot of. And and because of that, we do lots of collaborative work and we do co-development with local communities. Um, And there's also, I guess, opportunity for it to be a very academic specialty as well. So if you're very academically inclined, you can build it in you, you can build your training program into one that's quite academic um with quantitative and qualitative methodologies but i wouldn't really worry about not having the skills to get in i know colleagues who come straight from fy2 um as doctors without necessarily swathes of experience in non-clinical kinds of working or academia and have really sort of taken to the program Uh, I guess it goes maybe back to your question about values. And I think that public health suits someone who perhaps has the values to improve the health of the population, people who really value diversity, people who really value, I guess, improving and focusing on some of the most underserved communities and, and doing what you can to support communities and individuals. Um, so I'd certainly say rather, you know, you don't need to be a data analyst to apply to the program. You don't need to have done lots of academic research, but if you can bring that mindset and those values of, I want to, I want to improve, which I think, you know, most doctors, I probably don't know any doctors who don't want to improve things. You know, that's the nature of the business, isn't it? So I think just having that, you know, that positive mindset and really focusing on where can where and how can I make things better is the is the key to 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 public health really I hope you're enjoying the show if you are please click subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes come out this podcast is part of my mission to help doctors create successful and meaningful careers you can be part of that mission too by forwarding this show to any one person who you think might benefit from listening thank you Now on with the show. How do you get in? 
great question. So the the public health training program, um, you apply through Oriel, um, similar to other training programs. It's slightly different if you're non-medical or if you're medical. If you're a medical applicant, then you will have um, you just have to prove that you've done your foundation competencies or at least your competence, the level of foundation competencies within the last three and a half years. And then you'll progress to be eligible to the exam. The exam sat in January. There's a mixture of elements to the exam. So there's a situational judgment test, a, um, a, let me, sorry, I, I do have it written somewhere. Oh, a what's a Glazer critical thinking test and a numerical reasoning test. Um, I know some people do use question banks. I think the theory behind these tests, a bit like the UK CAT, is that you can't apply, you can't prepare for them. I think a lot of people who are successful do prepare for them. Um, and if you meet the minimum pass grades for the test, you'll then go to the interview stage. Um, and the interview is usually held, I think, in February. Then your combined score of your test and your interview uh, leads to a ranking, and then you rank the jobs in the UK. If you're non-medical, you have another hurdle to go through at the start to make you eligible to take the initial test. And that's to prove that you have at least 46, sorry, 48 months of full-time work uh, post-graduation in a public health sort of area. That's It's somewhat vague what that means. It could be policy. It could be research. It could be, um, I've got a colleague who was working in operations um, but in a healthcare organization. Um, so it's it's quite open to interpretation. So you need 48 months of full-time work in a health-orientated uh, career, of which 24 months have to be a, a, a AFC, so gender for change, band six or higher. Um, and then if you meet that eligibility criteria, then you'll be able, then you get through to take the test. And then if you get through that, the interview. I think typically there i think this year there's 125 jobs in the uk in this application um that went up quite significantly from last year i think usually there's about 90 jobs or some slightly less um not quite clear whether or not uh they will keep the same number of jobs the you know the, these things always do seem to change but I, I would say that anyone who's interested in applying and i applied uh two years in a row first time i took the exam and got the minimum grade to get through to go to interview but my ranking wasn't high enough to get an interview so I didn't get to the interview stage um second year I applied I um did quite well in the exam and then got through to the interview stage and then got a job so you know it's very very um it's quite often that people have applied several times and I think if you're thinking of applying there's nothing to be lost. It doesn't cost anything to apply. So, and certainly as a medic, the actual application process is very straightforward in the first instance. You just put your personal details into Oriel. There's no white space questions. You don't have to submit any portfolio or anything like that. So it, it's it's one of the quickest applications you could do as a medic, actually, I think. What does the interview involve? Oh, it's a little while since I did the interview. Um, but as far as I can remember, there is uh, a few different elements to it. There's a few different stations. One of them is a competency-based station. So that's talking about what you would do in certain situations, um, similar to situational judgment, I suppose. 
the first part of the interview, as far as I can remember, and I, am, I could be completely wrong here, it may have changed, um, but you're given um, some element of public health information and you then got to present it back to the panel. Um, and there's also something, at least in the year that I applied, they sent you a piece of public health information 24 hours before the interview and you had to prepare a very short presentation, uh, just an oral presentation, no slides, um, just to talk through that public health problem and then present a policy solution. Um, the interview certainly, I think, is quite challenging for people who've not worked in non-clinical context before. Um, and there's some good content online about what it might look like. And I would really recommend really trying to uh, do as much preparation as possible if if that's what you want, to, if, if you get through to the interview stage. And um, as a trainee, what's your typical week like? It's very difficult to say what a typical week may look like because the training jobs can be so different. So I've worked in local governments, so local authorities in East London. Um, I've worked at the UK Health Security Agency as a trainee, um, which is very, very different. So in local government, you might work with local stakeholders, building relationships with vo the voluntary sector, the charity sector, local leaders, looking at how to promote health, how to what the needs of that population are and how you can improve it. Working in the UK Health Security Agency, it's very much, um, that is, I guess, slightly more clinical in that it's quite a reactive role. You're looking at how to improve or reduce the amount of um, health challenges in the population you're serving. So that includes infection control. It includes if there's any radiation leaks, chemical um exposures and how to mitigate that so that includes lots of communicating and coordinating with local schools gp practices hospitals nursing homes it's it's a very sort of your coordinated response to to often outbreaks and it's, it's often infectious disease um so that includes lots of phone calls lots of meetings when it goes to other places. So I'm currently at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine doing my master's in public health, which is part of the programme. And there I'm, I'm a full-time student effectively. Um, well, I'm actually a part-time student, but most people are full-time students um, doing a master's programme, um, which is again, a very privileged position. Once you get through that, that side of the programme, so the programme is split into two phases. So the, there's phase one where you do health protection at the UK Health Security Agency, um, local government work, which I described, and your master's if you haven't done it already. And then you have two exams, the part A and the part B exam. And then you go into the next phase of training. And within the next phase of training, you effectively design your own training program. Um, and you are enabled and are, uh, allowed to, I guess, decide what kind of consultant you may want to be. So, for example, for those people who I mentioned earlier who have a real interest in global public health, you might want to work in organisations like the Foreign Office, uh, the Foreign, the FCDO, which I can't quite recall what it stands for now, uh, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Um, some people work at Medicine Sans Frontier. Um, you could work in different global functions of the UK Health Security Agency. However, if I decided that I want to be uh, an academic public health consultant, I could then choose to do academic rotations. So in London, we're very fortunate in that I could choose to go to the London School of Hygiene, UCL, Imperial, all as part of my training. 
and you can really tailor your program and it some of it is identifying where your learning needs are and what what you where your gaps are and how to how to fill those gaps in organizations and some of it is discussing with the training program directors what kind of consultant you want to be what kind of public health specialist you see yourself as in the future um so you know it may be that you want to work deep in the bowels of government making policy and supporting policy decisions in which case you might choose to go to the department of health um there's options to work with people like the chief medical officer or the deputy chief medical officers and gain lots of exposure experience to that national decision making lots of registrars work in also work choose to work in uh, acute trusts um given that public health perspective and helping develop their um, health services with a public health sort of mindset and framing um i'm just trying to, i'm sure there's lots of other really interesting placement opportunities so the national institute for clinical excellence um yeah i think yeah there's just there's so much lots of people go to nhs england it's it's um it's really very unique in that way and the other thing just to build on that i would say is that trainees who find um unlike other clinical training programs if i were to find that my learning objectives were not necessarily being met in in whichever placement i was in you can negotiate and discuss with your program directors to change and i think that's also a very privileged position you know i can't imagine if you're an orthopedic surgeon and you weren't getting enough hips that you were doing you could just ask to move hospital whereas certainly here if if my knit training needs weren't being met i could choose to end a placement uh slightly earlier than than i'd anticipated and choose to move somewhere else where I, where my learning objectives were going to be achieved which again is you know very unique to public health and we're very very fortunate that we can build our portfolios in that way i think that sounds great that it that it's focused on the learner for for um any other trainees that are listening, if I think with my experience of surgical training, it, it is possible also to move. And, and in fact, it's quite often that that the training program directors would move trainees to an area where the trainees' objectives are being met. Yeah. So I think and other trainees can be reassured that, that, that their learning needs um, are also taken into account. If if I sort of take forward to consultant level, then I take it that that, that also means that consultants work in all of those different areas. There's not one path, you know, you don't become a consultant and there's a choice of teaching hospital or district general hospital, that all of those avenues that you've outlined, that is where public health consultants work. No, certainly. And, and there is, I guess the majority of consultant posts uh, exist within local authorities. Um, and actually now integrated care boards and integrated care systems have a big public health um, consultant cohort working within them. But I've I've worked with consultants who've worked in organisations like uh, UCL Partners. I've worked with, with consultants who've worked in think tanks uh, like the Health Foundation or the King's Fund. Um, and then you do have those big na- those sort of national policy roles as well, um, work, working with the Department of Health and developing health systems and developing, um, you know, pro- providing that analytical health focus and that core element of public health or, or just general policy actually a lot of the time. It places even like the TFL has had registrar placements there before. So some of these sort of national organizations or regional organizations, which 
you know, on an on initial observation might not have that distinct link to health, taking that broader perspective of health and that, you know, what we, I guess, try, try for in public health. Um, you can go do placements there and there is there is consultant jobs there a lot of the time. Wonderful. Now, my final question, um, what would be your top tips for a doctor who's considering a career in public health? I think one thing I found quite challenging when I first applied and I wasn't successful was that if you're in the clinical world, certainly in some parts of the country, it may be that you don't have much exposure to public health or public health registrars or public health consultants. I was quite fortunate in that I did a national fellowship with the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management, where I got lots of exposure to public health registrars and consultants. And having lots of discussions with them about what they did. And as I said, it's a specialty that has very, very different kinds of roles, very, very different kinds of ways of working. It was really crucial to have as many conversations as possible with public health registrars and consultants to get an idea of what their what their days look like, what they did. And no registrar probably has the same experience. So I would try and reach out to as many as you can and it's a specialty that is a portfolio specialty in lots of ways, which means that lots of these people will be present on top forms of social media like Twitter or LinkedIn. And I think for the most part, current registrars and consultants know that there's those barriers to knowledge and to applying and would actually probably be quite happy to have a conversation, grab a coffee, have a Teams call. And certainly whenever anyone reaches out to me and asks if, if they can have a chat about what it looks like to be in public health, I'm more than happy to. And I think that, you know, as it's something that you don't see in medical school as much and you don't really have your, you know, it's, I think it's quite infrequent that people do these jobs in their foundation rotations. It's a difficult place to gain experience or get an insight into the role. And it's just really trying to find those people who are doing the role at the moment and reach out to them and have that conversation. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Joe. No problem at all. Thanks very much.